Hello and welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast or simply have an interest in sport, you have come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation and a little bit of entertainment, as always. It has been a whirlwind since the last episode. My Ironman announcing season got a late extension with an invitation to join the Ironman 70.3 Turkey team straight from the adventures in Qashqais for Ironman Portugal and Ironman 70.3 Portugal. And what an adventure it was. I had so much fun at both events, meeting some incredible athletes and working with some super people, many of whom I hadn't worked with for a number of years and others I had the pleasure of meeting for the very first time. It was such a privilege to be invited to join both Ironman teams and to get to travel and enjoy new locations, cultures and experiences, as well as meet lots of new athletes and hang out with people I haven't seen in a long time, whilst also getting to meet lots of new people. I managed to get a little bit of downtime in both Qashqais and Antalya to enjoy the sunshine, locality and warm welcome. The warm 22 degree waters of Antalya will be a distant memory when I take the plunge back into Galway Bay this week. It's going to be some shock to the system. As for getting back on my bike, well, I can't wait to get back on the road. That is the end of my triathlon adventures for this year, though. This weekend, I'm back on the microphone in Dublin in the National Indoor Arena for the very first National Series gymnastics competition since March 2020. With some quieter times on the travel front now for a few weeks, the focus returns to getting our performance hub live. This really has taken a back seat over the past few weeks. The new Try Talking Sport e-zine is ready to roll out, so be sure to subscribe to that on www.trytalkingsport.com. And I'm also getting ready to roll out the 12 days of Christmas challenge and the Christmas cracker promotions in the coming weeks. It's all go, so stay tuned. In this episode, which was recorded whilst I was in Turkey last week, I chatted with friend, training partner and fellow Galway Triathlon Club member and Galway babe, Karen Cassidy, who on the 16th and 17th of October took on the inaugural Mondello 24 cycle. Winning the solo female category, she finished fifth overall amidst a stacked field of solo male riders. This episode is a little different to previous ones as Karen and I have become such good friends and training buddies, spending a lot of time together on our bikes, especially in the last year or so. This is definitely more of a conversation than an interview and was lots of fun to record. The Mandelo 24 cycle was Karen's first foray into solo endurance racing. She faced and embraced the unknown in terms of time, distance and experience, taking on the 24-hour cycle race as an individual rather than as part of a team. Having originally planned to participate in the Race Around Ireland Ultra in 2021, when this event fell victim to COVID, she jumped at the chance to race in Mondello. No stranger to endurance racing, she has completed multiple sprint, Olympic and middle distance triathlons and has also completed Ironman Barcelona. In recent years, however, she has been fascinated with endurance cycling and has been chomping at the bit to complete a solo endurance race. The catalyst and driving force behind the setup of our Galway Babe cycling team with myself, Breach Nocton and Marie Boyle. She has really embraced endurance cycling in the past few years and has really focused on going solo and going long since our race around Ireland and Donegal Ultra successes in 2017 and 2018. Balancing her home, work and training life in a busy household to get to the start line in great shape was as much a challenge as getting around the 24 hour race. But her meticulous planning, dedication and focus on her goal, along with the unrelenting support of her husband Noel and her sons Cormac, Dylan and Jack, along with her colleagues at Fat Tony's and fellow Galway Tri Club members, saw her in the shape of her life to fly solo in Mondello and successfully soar to be crowned the Queen of the Track. Rounding up her crew of Porrick Benson, Pat Duran, Damien Maloney, Breed Nocton and myself, she was in great hands for her first solo adventure and we had plenty of fun during the 24-hour cycle. I know that we are all incredibly proud of what Karen has achieved and are looking forward to finally getting together to celebrate her success. Enjoy the show. Karen Cassidy, welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast. Thank you so much, Joanne Murphy. Great to see you. It's been a while. Last time I saw you was in Mondello. After uh, your epic cycle. Yeah, a week and a half ago. It's nearly two it's, weeks ago now. Yeah. Now we did catch up. On the phone, yourself, myself and Breeze, and we had a good laugh. We kind of uh, went over the uh, the antics of the 24 hours, the bits that I didn't know about. And yeah, it was good fun. Hang on a second now. The bits that you didn't know about or the bits that you knew about, but that we were telling you about that you didn't want to remember? No, you weren't telling me anything. <laughs> <laughs> I have yet to hear it all. So we're, we're trying to organise a night out with all the crew and I can't wait. A few glasses of wine and everybody and I'll hear all the stories. 
I don't know if we tell you all the stories and um, because some of them you were really, really bold, like really no, like a bold child. I do I find that very hard to believe, Joanne Murphy. Portugal and now Turkey. Tough life. I know getting the work-life balance correct is totally important. And after a year and a half of being locked up, yeah. I'm so glad to be out and about. So just to explain to the listeners, this is going to be a very different kind of podcast if you're a regular listener to the show, because obviously myself and Karen are very good friends. We've trained a lot together. Uh, I was part of our crew for the Mondello 24. So a lot of the things we're going to be talking about and the questions I'll be asking her, I already know the answer to. But obviously we want to try and share uh, Karen's story specifically around her journey in sports. So as you have heard from the intro, Karen completed the Mandela 24 cycle two weeks ago and I left the country 24 hours later. So we haven't seen each other. We've spoken quite a bit since. We had a great weekend in Mandela, Karen. It was a real step into the unknown for both of us, really, uh, mainly for you, taking on an, an endurance cycle as a solo rider for the very first time. Tell me why, first of all. Why did I do it? Yeah. Well, it was always on the cards, even way back when you, you and me sat down and we were organising um, the team for a race around Ireland. My long-term goal back then, so that's 2017, was to go solo eventually. And I knew I just couldn't go into the solo game straight away. I needed to win as part of a team. And like, to be honest, going into something solo is scary because, you know, even though Ironman and triathlon are individual sports, you train as a group. You go to races as a group. It really is, feels like a team sport. And of course, then our race around Ireland and Donegal, the Goy Babes, we were a team. So yeah, this was going to be very different, I thought, as in it was a solo, a solo adventure for me. But actually, it wasn't really. I mean, it was a team event nearly because I trained with all of you for the last year and a half. We talked about the race for the last year and a half. First of all, it was race around Ireland that I was supposed to do. That was cancelled. And then we went on to Mondello. So really, I never really felt I was in it on my own because between training with you all, we all talked about it, organised the event as a group. So really, I never felt on my own at all at any stage. Yeah, but you still had to turn the pedals for 24 hours on your own and sit on the saddle for 24 hours. That was actually easy. It really, it was actually easier than I thought. And maybe I over things but this event was was going to be very different to say if I'd done the race around Ireland Ultra because it was on a track so I knew I had to break it down so my plan was that during the daytime I would ride for as long as I could until it got dark so that meant riding for seven hours due to get dark around seven and then go in and change lights night gear all that and then because I knew the bad weather was coming in wind and rain we could have anything eight hours plus of bad weather, that it would be a better idea to break it down into two hour slots, where after two hours, five minute break, the next two hours, a longer break. And it's very easy for the mind to deal with two hours. If you knew you had a four hour cycle or six hour cycle ahead of you before a break, very hard to get your head around that. So two hours was, it was a dream. It was over before I knew it. So all I literally had to do was pedal and keep reminding myself to eat or drink every 15 minutes. And every time I passed you guys, every eight minutes, seven, eight minutes, you were there, shout me on, a bit of support. And you were always there. So really, I didn't do anything. All I had to do was pedal. I really had the easy job. I don't know if that was an easy job or not, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> when the wind and the rain came in, because the crew definitely, you know, we, we definitely felt like we had the easier job. We probably were more stressed than you were because you you just had to cycle your bike mm. um as, as you said you have to cycle your bike whereas from a crew perspective you know Porik was on it completely he never really left that that spot of the on the track to make sure that you came around every single time and that you communicated with us so when you passed us and you didn't acknowledge us we were like okay is she okay what's happening if she doesn't acknowledge us the next time she goes around then we need to figure out do we pull her in and, and this is in the later stages of the race really where obviously fatigue and tiredness and you were getting weather beaten as well so we were conscious especially at night time about getting that communication piece from you to make sure that 
you were still coherent at, you know, three and four o'clock in the morning while you were on the bike. So if you signal to us, yes, I'm OK, then we were OK. She's fine. Mm. But the crew were always on it. Everything from Breed with the feed and Pat with the mechanics and Damien just making sure that everything was kind of happening and, and everything was on track. And then uh, me with like making sure that your clothes got changed, that we like literally were stripping you and bringing you to the toilet. It was, you know, this stuff that was going on and it was like the time pressure every single time to yeah. try and maximize every second because you were against the clock. Definitely the weather changed everything. Like I would have loved to stay out there, you know, for longer. And if the weather was better, I would have preferred not to take as many breaks. But when I think about it now, like you bringing me every two hours, changing my clothes, a bit of hot food into me out again. So at no stage in the whole 24 hours did I ever feel wet or cold. At no stage. Yeah, my glasses drove me cracked around four in the morning because the the water was just so much wet and the lights were bouncing off the glasses. But at no stage did I feel uncomfortable because of the cold or the wet or the conditions. Like you were on top of it. And at no stage did you communicate to me that you were stressed at any stage. You looked so cool, so calm and in completely in control. Yeah, I suppose it's kind of like a the swan on the water. So the swan yeah. at the top. So <laughs> the most important thing is to keep you calm and to keep you focused yeah. and we worry about everything sure. in the background. I went into the into the um, caravan every time and it was so warm with the heat on, get my clothes laid out, literally stripped me off, changed me, threw a bit of food into me, uh, stacked up the bike for more and off I went. To be honest, every time I went back out on that track, it was like the button was reset. My legs were perfect, my mind was perfect, and I was reset for the next two hours. We rotated between, I was looking at, at the, uh, the times there during the week, we seemed to rotate between a five-minute break and a 15-minute break every two hours. So, yeah, it was, like, very manageable. It ma made it very, very, very manageable. And the pure delight I had when eventually I convinced you that 20 minutes of a break would be good. And I just needed you to lie down for 10 minutes. I just wanted, that's all I wanted from you was 10 minutes in the caravan. You wanted me to go to sleep. Yeah. To be honest, I was lying there like a bold child. You went outside. You turned the lights off. I'm lying there. Oh, my God. I could get another lap in here. What am I doing lying down here? Joanne Murphy, please come back in and get me up. I just couldn't unwind. I was. Yeah, I, I couldn't unwind. Now, maybe on hindsight, I did close my eyes and maybe just lying down, the legs are up, the lactate was getting out of my legs. Maybe it did help me in the, in the, in the long term. Would I have lasted 24 hours without that? I don't know. But at, in the moment, I felt frustrated. But and as, as happened a few times during the event where you kind of wanted me to do things and I didn't want to do, I felt frustrated, but I had to realize, okay, I've given ye you're the boss i've given you control of what happens my job is just a cycle yeah and i had to remind myself that maybe two or three times during the <laughs> event particularly in the latter hours where you were just really trying to mind me the key for us really and especially for porik as as the crew chief was to get you to the finish line because all you had to do was to finish okay so we know that the the depth of the field in the women's race was was two riders yourself and Edel, and we knew within the first couple of hours we knew that once you just kept pedaling and you got to the finish line you would win the the women's category and then you know towards the middle of the race we kind of suddenly started to realize that actually karen is playing it very well with the men's race as well so we need to mind her to get to the finish but then also there is this opportunity that you know she could finish in the top 10 the top five um bits and pieces of the race kind of come back where i'm sure you remember you were you you, you were taking your big break your 10 minute break uh, of a sleep so it was about a 20 minute break in total and you had said to us um now this is about four in the morning you had said to us the next time i come in i want to go to the port loo i want to stop there go to the loo so we went to call you into the pit and you were like a bold child going around. You ignored us the first time. Karen, come into the pit. No. Uh, the next time coming around, Karen, come into the pit. And all I remember seeing is the back of your head going, no, I will not go. And then the <laughs> next time I roared at you because I was like, we have to get her off the course. She's two and a half hours in. thought we have to get her in off the bike and talk to her. Because if we can talk to her, then at least she understands what we're doing. And then we had said to you every two hours off the bike, but we decided we wouldn't actually take you off the bike again if you communicated with us every time you passed the feed station. So if you acknowledged us, we would not take you off the bike. That was the deal yeah. that we had, myself and Park, Sometimes kind of the track was busy made. though, Joe. Yeah, Sometimes it was. Sometimes the track was busy and up there with the bollards uh, and yeah. everything. It was tricky. So we were just, and 
some of the lads that were racing for the four-man team, uh, they were bombing it. So they were coming in, coming in between us. Like, they were completely unaware of the fact that, you know, we've been on the go for 20-plus hours. Our reaction time's been slow. Yeah. So I was kind of conscious of all that. So sometimes I did mean to salute you, but I was watching wheels, to be honest. And then, of course, anytime we saw you in a group and you'd pass us and you'd be smiling and you wouldn't even look at us and we'd be like, she's smiling, she's in a group, keep her going, she's fine. We were, I suppose we were trying to watch everything because our priority was to make sure that we didn't damage you uh, yeah. that you didn't damage yourself out in the course to to not be able to make it home in one piece or that you didn't come off the bike or you know that it yeah. wasn't through something that maybe we could have done better that you hadn't um finished and no and, I, you managed it so well and like it was only really two laps before the end I think I was telling you this two laps I thought I was completely with it uh I knew I was very tired at the stage I probably could have done with a little bit more food in the very very end but I went down to uh, get my bottle. And normally I do without even looking. But I happened to fall, my eyes happened to follow my hand down. And my hand was nowhere near the bottle. It was up near the front wheels, folks. Like I was actually not with it. And so it was about maybe uh, 15 minutes to go. That was it. And I realized then, oh yeah, you're not with it at all. Just mind. All you got to do is finish, finish this and it's over. Like, But it's funny, you know, you shouted to me then just after that happened. You said, Karen, two laps left, two laps left. I'm looking at the clock and I'm going, please, God, I was so tired now. Please, God, can I not have enough time to do two laps? Please, God, will they pull me after this lap? And I'm coming up to the second last lap, you know, and I come up, please pull me, please pull me, please pull me. I did not want to do another lap. And it's funny, the last lap then I met up with Ushin, who's one of the race organisers, and uh, he was solo as well, and he was wrecked. And he said, well, did you reach your goal, Karen? And I said, well, you know, my goal was 600. I said, I kind of reevaluated that around four this morning in the wind and rain and kind of said, oh, if I get 575, I'll be happy. So he said, well, what are you, what are you at now? I said, well, I said, when I cross the line, I'll be one and a half K short of 600. Well, he said, you're going to keep going. He said, to get to 600 for the garment. I just looked at him and I said to myself, I mentally, maybe the legs had it, mentally, I wanted to get through that that flag and literally roll over and fall asleep. <laughs> I wanted to just go up on the grass and lie down. So we got through it. And I tried to turn the bike around and go back to you guys, the shortcut. They said, no, 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 you got to keep going around. But, uh, yeah, I had not my legs. It was mentally I had nothing left. You, you gave me a Coke at around 10 o'clock. And it was like he plugged me in. And that lasted about an hour <laughs> where I was buzzing. And I think I got a massive crash after it. And maybe I should have had another Coke or a, or a pile of jellies. But I do remember pulling over and saying to Pork, I need something. I need jellies. And he he threw uh, Harry Bow jellies into my hand and I, I inhaled them. And I, and, I, and I got through it. But definitely um, mentally, I was done. But you see, the mind is funny. Like you, you tell it it's going to do 24 hours and it decides in a 24 hours that you're done. If I if I was going to do 48 hours, maybe I could have kept going. I don't know. But you just told the mind it's doing 24 hours and it decided, OK, my job is done. Let's switch off. And in terms of going around the track, Karen, because obviously we only saw it from the one piece where you passed us. And then I got to go out in the, the car once or twice to do a little bit of a live commentary. In the booth. In the booth. <laughs> Hanging out I in the booth. The first I said, have they picked up somebody who's injured there? All I could see was somebody hanging out of a boot. And then I heard you. I heard you before I saw you. And uh, oh, so cool to see somebody, you know, hanging out of the booth with the phone video. It was so yeah, cool. it was it was great fun. But I guess we didn't really see what the course was like because we didn't drive the course. We didn't cycle the course, anything. So just for the listeners, explain what the course was. So you were cycling around uh, Mondello track for 24 hours. But what was the course? Three and a half K long. There was... 13 turns in it, mainly all right turns. And right turns for a cyclist are, are a little bit more difficult because we drive on the left-hand side of the road. You know, you're, you're going left, it's natural. You're going right, it's usually at a junction. So right turns are a little bit more difficult. You're not as relaxed. 13 turns, there was two big drags, but one of them out the far side of the track, you were hit with the headwind. And so every seven or eight minutes, you were turning a corner and up the hill and it was just... By the end, it be kind of came mind numbing. You know, you just get up on the saddle, push away through it. 
you know, you're barely, barely pushing the pedals in the end because the wind was so strong. There's about four hours where the wind was horrendous. Now, it wasn't as bad as the forecast. It was due to hit 35, 36. I don't think it did. I think maybe 27, 28 was the max it hit. But between the dry rain and the wind, uh, yeah, it was tough. And then even the last, there's kind of a drag on the finish shoot. Again, we were hit with a headwind. Two very technical turns in it where you're hit by crosswinds, where there's kind of a long bend with two apex. So there was four hours we were actually controlling the front wheel, trying to stay upright. And the big guy, the big guns, like the, the, the young lads from UCD, and they were flying around at 40 kilometers an hour. That slippery surface didn't seem to bother them. Uh, I think there was a few crashes. I didn't see them. Saw a bit of debris on the road. Porrick said afterwards there was a couple of crashes and uh, nothing serious because it did get quite greasy, uh, the turns. If I look at, at the speed I was doing, the first seven hours, I had a 31.8 average. So it was a nice, nice average. I had made the decision when I'd looked at the forecast that I'd push it uh, for the first seven hours. I knew at seven o'clock, the wind was picking up, the rain was coming in, everything would get very greasy and that I'd have to push it back. So when I came out then at seven o'clock with the winter gear on, rain gear on, I just said, just get around this safely. Then the next 12 hours, it's so dark, it's so wet, just get around it safely. So my average went way, 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 way down. And to be honest, it was it was easy. You know, I just potted around. Nobody was in the mood for talking on the track. Met a few people. Everybody was kind of focused on staying awake. Visibility was quite bad. It was The night was long. It was long. Great then again around 7 o'clock when it started getting bright. People perked up, started chatting again. You, you try and get behind somebody's wheel to get a bit of a break from the wind. And all they wanted to do was chat and they'd come beside you. And I had some lovely conversations with with some of the solos that were kind of audax with their background. And of course, Gerard, we all met Gerard, a smile on his face. I'd say for the first 23 hours, he had a smile on his face. He wasn't quite as happy in the last hour, but none of us were. <laughs> I think he survived on coke for the 24 hours. But um, oh yeah, had, you know, met some really nice people, heard some great stories, some great tips too on training and nutrition and guys that were are at this game for a long time. And I, like, as you know, like this is all new territory for me. It's very different doing it on your own to doing it as a team. So yeah, it was good. It was good. I, I, I was asked, did I enjoy any of it? I, I went to track on Tuesday as coaching and I was asked, did you enjoy any of it? And I said, I loved the first seven hours because I was kind of working hard, time flew, and then after that was hard. It, not hard, it was it was uh, not as enjoyable. And you probably saw from my, my mood. I came in after seven hours and I was hyper and we were trying to get me to calm down. And I'd say when you saw me come in after that, I was probably a little bit more subdued, just concentrating. The focus it took to take the corner safely, the flooding, the lights. Um, like some of the lads had these kind of um, react lights on the back of their bikes. So every time they braked, their lights would flash really bright. So you were dazzled. So like for those few seconds, you couldn't see where you're going. Um, I had a fight with my with my glasses at one stage. <laughs> I, I was fit to throw them only for, um, they were given to me as a present by Porrick. So I couldn't. <laughs> but, was, uh, this, was this at half four in the morning? Because Rita, yeah. Rita Feeney wanted to know what happened with those glasses. Well, you see, the, my jersey was too tight and my gloves were too big to actually get them into my back pocket. And I had nowhere to put the glasses. And I was wearing them at the top of my nose for about maybe 40 minutes because the rain was quite heavy. And I knew I needed them, but I couldn't see out of them. But once I got rid of the glasses, I was able to, they no longer bothered me. And the rain didn't bother me and the lights didn't bother me. It was probably that 40 minutes was my only low time in the whole of the race. Like I never felt tired, but it was my only low time where everything was bothering me. And once I got rid of those glasses, I was fine. I didn't need them. The rain had kind of started to ease off. Uh, I could see where I was going. I was heading in the right direction. Did you ever feel like quitting? No. No, I, I questioned my sanity in those 45 minutes up until about from four to quarter to five. Like, what in God's name are you doing? Like, I will never do this again. Never do this again. This is it. Enjoy your car because you're not doing this again. But like the following day, I was going, okay, will I do it again? What's next? Straight away, like 
it's like childbirth, you know, you forget about the pain. Uh, it's kind of nature's way of making you go again. Uh, I loved the first seven hours, really got such a buzz out of it. And the rest, I got through it. What were you thinking about out on the track? Were you thinking like, I need to eat or I'm doing a slow pace or I'm doing a fast pace or I'm talking to someone or I need to change my clothes or like, how did you keep your mind occupied aside for those 45 minutes when you questioned your sanity? Problem is, if you let the mind wander off, your, 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 your pace falls off. So you kind of have to stay in the moment. You, you know, the kind of training I did, I was doing eight hours on the Mike Cullen Road or seven hours on the Mike Cullen Road on a 4K stretch, basically to teach my mind to deal with the boredom. And literally, I was going up 4K and back 4K, starting at five in the morning and finishing eight hours later. And like people in my column must have thought I was nuts. Like, you know, they might have passed me six or seven times on, on the, uh, the drop offs, you know, and seen me still there. But basically, I was trying to teach my mind to deal with the boredom without slowing my pace down. So kind of trying to think about, you know, think about my legs, think about my hand position, think about how my body felt, think about every time where I got to a certain point, I ate or I drank. So when it came to the track, it was very similar. So the track was three and a half K. So it was the loop I was doing was four K. So it actually was quite easy. There was a spot out the back of the paddocks, which I knew had a bit of lighting. So at nighttime, I'd be able to see myself getting food. So I decided every time I passed that, every second time, I either drank or ate. So that equated about every 15 or 16 minutes. I either took a drink or I ate. I was always saying to myself, this is number one, this is number two, because on number two, I was taking a sup, I was taking a bite to eat. When you're counting things off like that, time flies. And it was only, okay, the first seven hours flew because I was focused on trying to get wheels, trying to stay safe. You're dealing with four-person teams, eight-person teams that were bombing it. So there was a lot of concentration. I was conscious of trying to get as much miles in the clock before it got dark. That seven hours flew. I loved it. Focusing, yeah, staying concentrated on focusing wasn't an issue. I think the training I did really worked. I think the fact that we were in lockdown and to stay in a 5K uh, radius really helped my training because we were so used to doing short loops. So we just got used to it. And so really, lockdown suited. Not only the fact that I had more time to train because I wasn't working. Two years ago, if I tried to do loops like that, I would have, oh my God, given up. I wouldn't have been able to do it. We also had the Zwift spin that we used to do every Sunday morning, yourself, myself, Aoife, Steph and Eve, like from Christmas through to March, I think it was, when we did the big 400k cycle over the weekend. Um, yeah. We were on the bikes. I mean, I was only doing maybe two or three hours on a Sunday morning spin, but you were doing five and six hours on Zwift. And we'd all be chatting away from early in the morning and uh, we'd do our cycle and off you'd go. We'd never have gotten that done in the no, in real life. no. And that was actually good fun because I generally start about two hours before you and they need all join in and we'd be on Discord and we'd be chatting about everything. Yeah. So that's the time flew. Absolutely flew. Now, once you all hung up and I, if I had to do another half an hour, that was probably the, the longest half hour ever. So it was always great to get an hour or two done before you got on. And then we'd be chatting about everything and. And then we'd stagger when we'd leave. So if I yeah. left first to run, have a shower and have my breakfast, I'd be back on Discord and I'd be eating my Murphy, breakfast while you'd be staying. We actually, you stayed talking to me in the shower. That is true. Thankful there was no videos on. Thank <laughs> God for all involved. <laughs> We've heard a singing yeah. in the shower. There's zifting in the shower too. I know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, but I suppose like that's kind of... um some of the things that will stand out and stand to us. And even, you know, from my own side as well, all that training that we did during the winter, I was actually able to stay on your wheel a little bit with your training this year versus when we were doing Race Around Ireland or the Donegal Ultra from all of those long endurance spins that we were doing. I've ever seen you. You're as strong now as I've ever seen you. You really are. Yeah, that's what you say to me when you want to convince me to try and do some crazy ass long endurance cycles with you. So I don't believe anything that you say to me. Um, I know a lot of people want to know how you balanced. I know we've talked about you getting on the bike at five o'clock in the morning, but and doing the training sometimes, you know, crazy hours in the morning before the rest of us would even wake up. But how you actually manage to balance your training with a busy household? Because you're on your feet all day. You're meeting customers all day in the barbershop in Fatoni's in Barna. You have 
three children. You live out in my Cullen, which doesn't have a proper bus service. So you're in and out of town, up and down the road, 10 times, 20 times a day and trying to fit in all the training and busy life and also leaving certs and everything going on in the house. How did you do it? I have a patient husband. <laughs> yeah, poor, know, poor Noel. Yeah, I know. Yeah. To be honest, like I suppose since I started triathlon in 2010, um, I've kind of made training a, a lifestyle. It's part of my life. It's like having a shower, eating, whatever. It's the way of life. Uh, I know even years ago when the kids were smaller, I always kept a pair of togs and runners in the car because it'll always be a half an hour where things are running late for pickups. I could squeeze in a swim or a run. So same as here, like, you know, the, I get up early. I try and do a turbo session easier in the summertime because my guys are teenagers now. So they'll sleep. Like today, I was telling you, one of the lads got up at 12, another lad got up at one. So I used to come back from, like say I went out on a Sunday morning at seven or eight. I'd come back at 12 or one and only getting up. So in, in that sense, it was easy. And of course, lockdown was quite easy to train with loads of free time. Some weeks it's, it's you end up dropping session. And I suppose I learned over the years never to try and squeeze in a session. If you've missed a session, you've missed a session. And maybe try and do a five minute stretch or uh, a bit of core work instead. I was go to bed early because sleep is as good. But trying to squeeze in sessions where you've missed them, where things have been too busy, it's a waste of time. Early mornings always are my best. Have it done before the kids get up, come back, do the school runs, go into work, even squeeze in my lunch break, uh, a swim or, or a, a quick uh, hill repeats, a uh, nice big hill beside me in Barna. Even time after dinner, uh, kids are whatever, watching TV on my squeeze and turbo session. It does take planning. I might sit down on a Sunday. I sit down, okay, this is, I've do 15 hours this week. My three main sessions are my interval, my tempo and my long. I'll figure out what days I'll do those. And then I'll try and squeeze in two more sessions around us. So for Mandela, I was doing at least five bikes a week, some weeks six, some weeks four, but generally five a week. So once I got my three main sessions in, uh, I was happy. And if I got the other two additional sessions in, I was even happier. I think I've been doing this so long now that my husband's used to it. The kids are used to it. I'm used to it. It's just become a way of life. And I don't see it as, as, a, as a big deal. Do you ever feel like when you're going out in those big long spins that it's a chore? Yeah, you're always gonna get you're always gonna get days like we just want to roll over in the bed. But to be honest, for those days, if you have your gear ready and sitting there at the end of the bed, you have the bike ready, nutrition ready, it's that 10 seconds where you just jump out of bed and once the gear is on, you're fine. It's the temptation not to roll over and say, Oh, I'm not feeling the love today, because there's gonna be loads of days. And to be honest. Always, too, I found, particularly for the long sessions, if I'd arranged to meet you or Eve or Steph or Marie or anybody, even for an hour, it helped me get out of bed at those early mornings to start my session. I knew I'd meet you for an hour or two. We'd do a quick coffee stop and I'd finish off my session. It, you're going to have bad days. We didn't feel like it. But you just have to remind yourself why you're doing it, the goal, the goal at the end, and just keep reminding yourself. So have you... Got the bug now for a solo endurance um, ride again, or would you prefer to be back doing a team, or will you go back and do another Ironman? We haven't even talked about your history in the sport generally. <laughs> oh, we kind of went straight into Mondello. Um, there's so <laughs> much. There's so much to talk about with Mondello. We need a whole podcast on its own about it. But I, you know, you, you have done Ironman Barcelona. You did go to do it again, but you had serious back issues. You've had major back surgery. You know, do you think will you stick with the endurance cycling now, or maybe you go back to triathlon i'm going to give it another year i'm going to give it another year i'm going to do race around ireland ultra next year uh, which is 1200 now i wanted to do that last year but it was it was um cancelled because of covid so i think they've given the date as the, the 21st or 22nd of august for next year pork is on board as, as my crew chief already so that's on the cards what else i don't know i'd actually next year would love if I could convince Damo or somebody from the crew to do a team, I'd love to crew for them. And like Damo has crewed for us. I think he'd have, if he got a crew, four of them together to do it, or even a pair. So we're going to meet up on the 19th anyway for a few drinks. Uh, we'll get a few glasses of vino down and see if we can convince them to, to do Mondello. I've never crewed and I'd love to crew. 
if there's no takers, then I'll probably do Mondello or something around June uh, in preparation for uh, the Race Round Island Ultra. But the Race Round Island Ultra is my goal. And if I don't want to do any other race in between, I don't mind. I'll just do um, a long uh, recce session instead. That's my goal for next year. I think once I've done it, I'd, I'd have no interest in going any longer than that. I'm getting too old. But I would definitely like another stab at Ironman. I did it in 2015, Barcelona. And to be honest, I just did it. I didn't race it. So my clock died about nine hours in. So I wasn't even aware of what time I was doing. I did it in 12 hours, one minute. So I'd love to go back and get that one minute. And to be honest, like I didn't race it. I'd done loads of half Ironman and I didn't know whether I'd be able for full Ironman. And so I kind of, I mean, I stopped for a sandwich after the swim. <laughs> I had a sandwich in, in the transition area and people came in after me and were out on the bike before me. The goal of the day was to finish it and to enjoy it. Oh my God, I so enjoyed it. But I had so much left in the tank at the end of it. When I went back to do it in 2018, my training was so good. That year we'd done Donegal. Uh, my bike was superb. My run was the best it ever been. I wouldn't be a runner. I, I was on form. I was looking, when I did my numbers, I was looking close to 11, is what I was looking at. 11, 11, 15. And of course, the back went. I was packing up the bike for Barcelona and next thing I ended, and landed on the floor. I had blown a disc that put pay to uh, my race. I'd fallen off the bike six months prior and done a bit of damage that I wasn't aware of. So I had the surgery and back on the bike six months afterwards. 11 months afterwards, I was 100% uh, and raring to go again. So I, I remember you saying, actually, after the surgery, you went back to the surgeon. Was it six weeks after the operation? And he said, uh, was it four months ago you were in with us, Karen, that you were so fit and had done everything so rigidly in terms of sticking to the protocols around minding your back and doing all your stretches and exercise and everything that he had said something like were you not in here four months ago is it your four month review see, versus your six week review? We're, we're triathletes right so we're used to training all the time so like he was telling me to do you know walk every day so I suppose a normal person would do a five minute walk I was straight into like hour two hour three hour walk so but you weren't was, sticking to the protocols oh no I didn't do any more than, than what was what I was he didn't give me a time limit, but I didn't, uh, I never pushed it. So my recovery was very fast. And the fact that I was physically in really good condition, uh, I had no fat in me. So I think all that made the surgery a huge success. And my recovery was so fast. You went for a run today? First run in about a year. I know. Oh my God, running is so simple. You just put your runners on. There's no thinking about it. But Joe, I did a barefoot run because uh, I just love it. I just taking the shoes off, bare feet, and there's a lovely pitch down the road for me. I did 6K. Your thoughts can just go all of a sudden, why oh, 6K done? I feel like doing more, but maybe I shouldn't because I haven't run in a year. Oh, it was so nice. It was actually looking forward now to going back swimming, doing a bit of running, doing a bit of yoga, maybe only one bike a week just to let the body recover. And so when I do get back on the bike, I'd be buzzing for it. You'd be rearing to go mad rearing for road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mad for road, but avoiding the Mike Cullen one like the plague. I know, yeah. Oh, I know. Never again. <laughs> um, when you look at your nutrition, Karen, I want to talk to you again about nutrition because you you had done out the plan with Breach. You was on the crew as well to make sure that you were taking in the right amount of, of carbohydrates. But I know you did struggle a little bit with your tummy, you know, from about maybe midnight onwards. The nutrition element, and you've already mentioned how you felt like you were buzzing after having the Coke at 10 o'clock and dying at 11 and needed a bit more. Getting your nutrition right for long distance racing is crucial. The first thing I did was made sure that one person was involved in my nutrition. That was Breach. And it was really important just to have her look after me. And I think you said to me afterwards, it was a good idea just having one person dealing with it. And Breach is great. She wrote everything down. You know exactly what time I ate everything. So I was able to sit down over the last few days and just make a few notes as to what went right and what went wrong. And probably I should have gotten nutritionists on board, but but I kind of was eager to explore it myself and do the research myself. Now, if I do it again, I'll definitely get nutritionists on board. But I know so much now that I think I'm better equipped to talk to somebody about it. 
the goal was anyway 40 grams of carb it was all about the carbs I was kind of ignoring calories really and all about carbs and, and I had played around with different levels in my long sessions with different levels of uh, carbohydrate and 40 seemed to be the, the magic number I wrote down on a piece of paper what I had per hour and kind of the first seven hours I was 40 grams an hour spot on but I kind of jumped up to 50 grams an hour between seven and half one. And that was too much because from seven o'clock onwards, I slowed my pace down. So I'd gone into fat fuel at that stage. And I think my fat burning fuel is quite efficient. I've done so much zone two over the years that I actually didn't need. I probably should have dropped down to about 35 grams of carbs, even 30 grams of carbs. So I think for that six hour stint, seven hours I had too much carbs so my stomach started to get lit not bad now just a little bit off I think at half three then uh, Breege gave me a motilium only reason being was I didn't feel like eating and Breege was saying listen it's cold it's wet you need to take in more calories and I said no we'll stick with the plan we'll stick with what we have but I definitely think those five six hours where I'd gone up to 50 really I should because I'd slowed the pace down I should have kind of dropped my it it was a learning a learning thing for me now the fuel worked unbelievably well for the 24 hours like I never felt I had no energy I had energy right up until half 11 30 minutes before the end and I got that massive drop and I think it was a coke because the last time I had coke was in 2015 I remember Barcelona <laughs> at the very end of it it just I wouldn't be a big sugar person uh, I should have had the jellies on hand or another coke to get me back up for that last half hour. But I then look went on then. I think in the morning time then, I kind of was from about six, seven, I was at 35 grams an hour, 36, 30. Yeah, so I definitely think those six hours where I got to 50 grams an hour, my system couldn't deal with it. And that was the start of my stomach getting a bit upset. Mm. So for the three days afterwards, my stomach was very bad. So I think also I had too much protein. I was using um, Ultraplan, which is a very high calorie, high um, carb drink, which people use when they're sick. It's only 250 mils, so it's quite easy to knock down when you're you know when you're on the move. And I love the taste of it, uh, vanilla taste. But on hindsight, I had so many of them, it was just too much protein for my body to take in. So that is why, for a couple of days afterwards, my stomach was so sick. Again, first time. I didn't do too bad nutritionally wise yeah. first time doing a solo event. And I always knew with Mondello, the three th things were nutrition, crew and lights. And they, they're the three things I knew I would need to give the most amount of thought to. And I did give an awful lot of thought into it, but I would definitely change for the next event. I would change it. I, th I feel I know more about how I react to food. I definitely go with a nutritionist next time. Okay, um, so just tell me what sort of food did you eat or what did you take? So you had that kind of convalescence drink. Yeah, so I, that had 600 calories for 250 mils, so 72 carbs. Uh, I used Morton's. Would I use Morton's again? I don't think so. I think Morton's is it's a really high carbohydrate drink. It's 80 carbs and low volume. Ideal, I think, for Ironman. Ideal for ultra marathons running. For the bike, for that kind of distance, it worked great for my eight-hour stints. But really, I got sick of it kind of after 12 hours. Too sugary, too sweet. Again, it worked for the day. I used that. I used the Alteplan. I used Cliff, bars, bananas. Then I had a wrap at around 7. At around 11, I chipped a pie. And then for all the other stops, I moved over to porridge. Porridge is great. It's the only thing that settled my stomach. And it's the only thing that you kind of, it's slow release and it seems to get hours out of it. So I think I had porridge at 1.30 and I had it again at 4. And then I moved on to granola at around 7, kind of really high calorie granola. found it really refreshing. Yeah, and then at the end I had Coke and jellies. And when you finished the race, were you hungry? Oh God, no. Yeah, my stomach was very sick, as you'll remember. But... <laughs> Now, remember, it happened Mandela stays Mandela. But anyway, we stopped off in Burger King, 
I knew I needed food, chicken burger and chips. And my stomach was so bad after it. Like just came home, went to bed, woke up two hours later, absolutely starving. And two mouthfuls of dinner and I couldn't eat anymore. Just and I found for two or three days afterwards, hungry all the time, but two or three mouthfuls of food and my stomach felt sick. So I just think I had too much protein and my body couldn't deal with it. And a high level of sugar. Oh, yeah. Actually, I was chatting to uh, a lad that does Audax all the time and he took sugar out of his diet completely for races. Uh, he found it was a game changer for his stomach, just eliminating sugar altogether. So that now for that. me would be impossible. On the bike, it wouldn't, Joe. Uh, the only reason I cycle is so that we can go for caramel slices. Oh, yeah, that's uh, yeah. But listen, coffee spins are completely different. They're social and you have to be social. Stop out the way and have a big, dirty caramel slice and uh, a flat white. And uh, yeah, that, that's completely different. Mm, we won't mention the two mini magnums after the hard Swift racing are my new favourite, the Galaxy Hot Chocolate with marshmallows and Baileys. But actually, during Mondello, having that... I never got that. No, you didn't. I never got that. No, you didn't. So I I made that the... I think I had a Zwift race the week before, the Tuesday night. And I decided to treat myself because I had no mini magnums. So I made this hot chocolate with hot water and I put marshmallows and a little bit of um, Baileys into it. But then Damien told me about a new little trick where you actually make like a mocha coffee. So I was having hot chocolate coffees. I had about four of them, maybe five in mm. Mondello and every second one had a little bit of special Galway milk in it hashtag oh babies. lovely lovely you needed to keep yourself awake anyway did you feel tired at any stage um I think I was just so hyper because I had so many hats that I was wearing so between being you know part of the crew and doing some of the social media for us and then uh doing the announcing for Mondello and the bit of social for them as well I think I was kind of buzzing until about maybe 11 o'clock that night I didn't really feel the time pass when you came in at seven o'clock that's when the pressure kind of started you know in terms of that was your first big change and then after that it was we were counting down every time to the time you used to come in I think at around two o'clock I was standing outside beside Porrick and I was like oh my god I'm so tired I just want to go to bed but I didn't want to go to bed so I decided to take a little stroll down the pits and I just started talking to everybody as you do and everyone was in great spirits and it passed about an hour until you were coming in again and I think then that you came in around you must have come in around three or half three or something because at four o'clock myself Porrick and Breach were in the caravan and Porrick was having his dinner this was four in the morning he was going to have his the the pasta we got from Gourmet Tartu very kindly sponsored our food over the the race he was having his dinner and I was like I'm actually not hungry I'm just going to throw my head down here for 20 minutes and see can I sleep but I couldn't and they were chatting away and every so often I'd I'd say something to the conversation <laughs> but my eyes were closed yeah. and um I think they all they both left at about 25 past four and I think I said to Breed I said I'm going to just stay here for 20 minutes and try and sleep for 20 minutes. Wake me up at 10 to 5. So Breach came back anyway, probably at five o'clock and woke me up. And that was it. So I had maybe 25 minutes of sleep. And then Porrick put his head down around seven. He was like, wake me. And I was like, I promise I'll wake you. I think he was afraid I wouldn't wake him. But yeah, you're kind of on a high. So even though you're tired, you've loads of jobs to do. You've loads of things to do. And the time kind of drying clothes, (laughs) drying clothes, getting out your food, Checking to make sure Porrick is all right. Checking the boys. Yeah. <laughs> Drinking hot chocolate. Um, but no, it was it was great fun. And I definitely had FOMO going to Mondello. I'm glad I was on the crew, even though it was a last minute uh, yeah. thing to jump on the crew in the end because I, I should have been away. It, it was really good. It was it definitely having been a rider on the team to see the crew side is, is completely different. As a rider, you think you've the hardest job, I think. And definitely we felt like we had a hard job in Race Around Ireland and Donegal Ultra, but the crew definitely, they're responsible for you. Basically, your life is in their hands in a way, really. And it was it was great. And I highly would recommend anybody who's interested in in endurance racing to just experience the crew side of it, even if you're not sure whether you want to race or not. Just go and be on a crew for like an eight person team or a four person team, if they're especially if they're doing it for the crack, because you just get such a different sense of what racing is like. And there were so many teams in Mondello that I actually think some of the eight person and the four persons will become four person and two persons. And the twos might have Mm -hmm. a few solos next year. And even people who were crewing had so much fun 
despite the weather and despite the fact that it was 24 hours on the go, it's it's just doable. And if I look back to what we did with Race Around Ireland and the Donegal Ultra Karen in terms of logistics, there was no camper vans, there was no route maps, there was no checkpoints, there was no worrying about showers or diesel or food for everybody. It was just all so central that if we had had Mondello as a stepping stone to Race Around Ireland or the Donegal Ultra, we probably would have gone on and done what we had maybe talked about after um, yeah. race around yeah. Ireland and um, yeah. you know we'd, we'd have kind of it, Very safe all... environment though. if you fall asleep uh, in Mondello you just roll over and fall asleep you're yeah. not gonna you know there's no car gonna knock you over you're not yeah. gonna fall down a mountain so like like race around Ireland where you could you see so yeah. very safe environment looking at the weekend Karen what were the highlights and what were the lowlights of Mondello we've already discussed the lows that was four o'clock my bloody glasses <laughs> we've already discussed that and I, I you know 40 minutes low is is so minor in, in a 24 hour. And, you know, it's funny. I was waiting to feel tired and I was waiting to feel kind of, oh, am I going to fall asleep on the bike? And that never happened, you know. Um, high, I'm going to get upset now, but uh, <clears throat> Noel arriving at half 11. I'd, I'd pulled in. See, I didn't want Noel there because uh, it's just not his thing. And. You know, I was thinking oh, I'd get bored and I'd be thinking about it and everything. The kids at home are the kids OK and just have him at home. Mind the kids. It meant I could free up my mind from that part of my life and just focus on what I was doing. When I stopped at half 11 and pork is giving me jellies, and I just put my head on pork's shoulder. and I just said to him, I'm so tired. And I looked up and I saw an old and I don't know if you know if I acknowledged him. But oh, my God, like it just it definitely gave me I don't know whether the jellies are him, but something gave me a lift. It was. And when I when I crossed the line, I went looking for him and I was quite emotional when I saw him. It was really nice to see him. And actually, him arriving then was just perfect because I knew the kids were fine. and I needed him then. So it was perfect. It was lovely. And he didn't tell me about it. He didn't know about it. I don't think he told anybody. He didn't. He didn't tell any of us. And we were, so we had our Galway Babes uh, WhatsApp group was obviously flying with loads of messages to keep in contact with Marie. And then um, we had Jackie and Adrian as well, who very kindly put us up in their house, their beautiful home the night before and gave us a caravan. And they even crewed with us a little bit as well. So just to give them a big shout out, but they were there on the finish line as well. It would have been a completely different experience without Jackie and Adrian. They made it very comfortable for us. They're yeah. such such good people. Oh my goodness! A hundred percent. We definitely have to convince them to put a team in to long distance yeah. racing at some point because they were made for it. I mean, Jackie at one stage was in the caravan in one of your changes. They they arrived at like on. yeah, put your socks on. They arrived at eight o'clock in the evening, saying they'd come out for an hour. They were still there at one o'clock in the morning. The lashing rain. Um, but they were standing a couple of hours out in the rain, and yeah. I kept passing them. I kept looking. Oh my god, it's so yeah. wet. They standing were amazing. There. Yeah. But none of us knew that Noel was coming and we were sending messages to Noel. So we didn't allow Noel into our WhatsApp group because God forbid anything happened to you mm. and we needed to communicate. Um, so we uh, we decided not to put Noel into the, the WhatsApp group, but we were sending him messages anyway and photographs of you and everything. So he knew you were fine. And then early on the Sunday morning, I, I texted him. I said, she's fine. She's had a feed. She's had a change. She's in great form. Blah, 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 blah. And he replied. And I was like, oh, I didn't think you'd be out of bed already. And he goes, oh, sure, I'm awake now. And then I didn't hear from him again. And yeah. I had texted him a few times and I turned to Park, I think, at one stage. And I said, do you know what? I actually think Noel might be on the way to Mondello. He goes, why? Yeah. And I said, well, I haven't seen any blue ticks on his WhatsApp. And then the next thing he arrived in. And um, yeah, we all got a bit of a lift, I think, when we when we yeah, saw Noel yeah, yeah. coming in. Um, but it was really emotional on the finish line. And I know we're coming near the, the end of the interview now because we've been chatting for ages. But it was really emotional. You don't I know you're tired but, and you don't know your arse from your elbow, really, at, at that stage. But the pride that we had for what you had achieved was just unreal. We, like, Murphy, what we had achieved. Well, well, what we had achieved, but at the end of the day, you were riding your bicycle and, and the hardest job was riding your bicycle. So, yes, we were a team, but ultimately you were the person that was on the bike, won the race, finished fifth overall. We were very emotional. I think all of us, we were, there was, there was like an adrenaline rush and then just a burst of emotions at the end. Yeah. Yeah. It was two tears. And yeah. there was loads. <laughs> <laughs> we all had a few tears, I know. 
I was tiredness, Joe. I was tiredness. Total tiredness. Total tiredness. <laughs> I didn't yeah. realize, I never realized how well I was doing, you see. One or two guys came up to me and says, oh, Karen Cassidy, you're a legend. And I'm kind of going, oh, yeah, you know, you're typical. I'm a woman and cycling for 24 hours. And, you know, yeah. And I, just, I didn't pay any heed. And uh, a guy came up to me and said, oh, Karen, come here. I'm out for one more lap. Get on my wheel. I'll mind you for this lap. You're doing mighty. And he brought me around and they went in. It was just so lovely. And then another lad said to me, he said, Karen, you're doing really, really well. You know that. As I came around, you said to me, you said, Karen, you're in fifth place. And I just looked, I think it was an hour to go. I couldn't believe, like I was completely unaware of where I was in the standing because, yeah, I might have passed a few guys up, but people are going off on breaks at different times. People are taking longer breaks, shorter breaks. Some guys were taking no breaks, you know. One guy, I think, went for a seven-hour kip. <laughs> I don't know who it was. I think he just left out the alarm. I think if I got seven-hour kip on an average night, I'd be delighted. <laughs> I think at that point when I told you you were fifth, I think Damien might have roared at you in the lap before and said, go on, Cassidy, you know, give it loads or whatever. And I was like, Jesus, don't be telling her that. That's like, you know, red rag to a bull. She'll absolutely nail the next 20 minutes and then she won't make it home. She'll die. So when I realized that you were fifth, I was like, Karen, all you have to do is keep cycling because you were you were too far behind fourth to catch him. But there was only one lap between you and sixth. If she just keeps her pace now and doesn't go too mad, she'll finish and she'll she'll finish in fifth position. Yeah. Um, So so like actually the crew, you're kind of you are actually watching everything, you know, all the dynamics that are happening and. Some of the crew, no more than Porik, who who really did do the full 24 hours without a, a proper, proper break. Um, and he was outside for most of it. You know, some of the crew were roaring times at their their riders and just on it all the time, watching, watching everything. So, yeah. So what race are we going to do next, Karen? Oh, sorry. The interview is over. Eh? <laughs> are we still recording? Are we? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Murphy, we have to plan. We have to plan. <laughs> It was so lovely having the crew back. You know what I mean? Demo, Breach, Pat, Horik. It was just like, you know, all we were missing was Marie. And, and oh, my God, poor Marie, like, is, you know, up to Donegal with her mom an awful lot. Her mom isn't great. And it would have been lovely to have her there. It's just so good to have everybody back. And it brought back memories of this fun time we had for Race Around Ireland and Donegal Ultra. Yeah, it sure did. It was absolutely brilliant. Friends and family for life, even yeah, though yeah. you were the bold, petulant child and I was the cross parent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Just when we weren't paired together, uh, Murphy, for the uh, race around Ireland. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just when you were bereaved and I was with Marie. Somebody <laughs> thought out that pairing very well. I'd have been funny. dead. When you, when you called me in, like, I was saying, I'm not going in. I'm really in a comfort pace. I came around again. And it's just the look he gave me. And, and there was two girls beside me. And they said, I think you better go in. <laughs> <laughs> it was Barbara. Barbara from, from Fingal. And there's another girl who was part of it. She was doing um, a pair. And she was, oh, she was rock solid. And then another girl in an eight-person team. And uh, yeah, you better go in, Karen. I think your crew wants you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even need the microphone to roar at you. So before we finish up, we just do want to say a quick thank you to a couple of people. So yeah. uh, the Gourmet Tart for sponsoring our crew food for the weekend, which was absolutely legendary. We still have a few euro left, so we'll be back in for some coffees and pastries, I'm sure, with the hangover on the 20th of mm-hmm. November after our crew night out. We also had Mike out in Lockray for all your bike parts. He sponsored mm-hmm. the repairs and, and all that kind of stuff as well. We also had Cogaslawn Agatha out in Carrow who provided all of the items for the medical bag and the first aid and Aoife yeah, knocked in helping yeah. us with that and then you are raising funds for the RNLI as part of the race so you're keeping that link open for another week or two I will yeah I think we're up near 1600 between online and offline so doing really well like so I'll leave it open for the week or two and hopefully we get we might get a few more uh, quid great call perfect and you know as well I personally just want to thank my crew Porik, Breach, Pat, Damo and yourself like you're legends you really are legends and you got me through it. It was a team event. I by no means was it solo. You got me through it and it made it very simple for me, very easy. And thank you so much. Well, Karen Cassidy, it was my pleasure and I will do it again in a heartbeat. I'm not sure. Ooh. I will ride with you again. <laughs> no, 
I said I'd crew with you and we'll see we'll see okay no I'm going to cut the interview now I couldn't want to get myself into a whole lot of bother so we are officially saying thank you to Karen Cassidy we're signing off on the podcast for this week thank you so much I'm still in Turkey I'm going out into the sunshine Slán Thanks for tuning in I hope you enjoyed this episode don't forget you can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com I'd love to connect on social media. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. Pop by and say hi. Let me know what you think of the show. If you are new to Try Talking Sport, please do check out some of our previous episodes. You will be both impressed and inspired by our guests. Until next time, stay safe, keep smiling and remember to look for fun and adventure in every day. 